Would you just thank Anthony? He comes up. He's just, he is the best pastoral resident in all of Redemption Church. And uh, that's not, see, now what you're thinking is he, where he's the only one. Um, but he's not. There are pastoral residents across all of Redemption, across Arizona. And, uh, and we just voted. And he ranked number one pastoral resident <laughs> in all of Redemption Church. So uh, a couple things before we jump into the Word this morning. First, my name is Vince, and lead pastor here. It is delightful to be preaching again. I was gone. Well, I was here in town, but I was uh, not in the pulpit for two weeks. And uh, for, for someone who likes to talk as much as I do, this is devastating. Okay, so Verity was hearing all my musings for the last two weeks that I didn't get to share with all of you. So anyway, that being said, a couple announcements. The first one is we are starting uh, our fall session of redemption classes today. So I bring this up, normally would not announce it day of, but the reason why I'm doing it is because uh, there might have been some miscommunication over the last month uh, that you needed to sign up for those. Okay, so we had uh, some emails this morning saying, hey, I'd like to go to this class and this class. And we said, well, you didn't sign up, so we canceled that class. Um, And so if you have a desire to still take one of the classes that we're offering today and next Sunday, here's what I need you to do. I need you to come talk to me or Anthony at the Connect Desk right after service so that when I go out to buy food, I make sure to buy some for you as well. Okay, so the two classes that we have offered is we're doing a Faith, the Bible, and LGBTQ. If you're unfamiliar with LGBTQ, that's lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender and questioning queer. It depends on which, uh, which acronym uh, page you're looking at. But we're going to do a whole kind of talk and, and class and discussion on how those intersect, okay, the faith uh, and the Bible and the LGBTQ. So you can take that class. The other one is how to study scripture. And this is just going to be, hey, we're going to jump in and we're going to look at hermeneutics. We're gonna, how do you study this thing? How is the best ways and best practices? Um, and it should be really good. Okay, so if you have a desire to take either one of those, again, just come talk to me or talk to Anthony at the Connect Desk on your way out, and we'll get you signed up and all the information that you need. Okay, the, the other announcement is this Saturday, okay, so six days from now, we're having our fall men's event, and it is our annual men's bowling tournament. Okay? Yeah, wow. Someone over here is excited. Kelly, who's not a man. Okay. Um, so... Uh, listen up, fellas. We've got a few teams registered already. Last year, the, uh, the staff team won the tournament. And so if any of you think you're any good at bowling and can beat us, I, I challenge you. Okay? What you need to do is get a team together of four people and then sign up online or just fill out an info card and we'll sign up the team for you. And it'll be next Saturday from 12 to 2 at Starlight Lanes. There will be food provided as well, but come on out bowl, get to know some other guys, enjoy some time, hopefully make some good connections that lead toward uh, kind of more discipleship and growth and that type of thing. So anyway, that's next Saturday. Sign up. We need to know also if you're doing that, don't just show up. All right? Turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 14. We're going to be in verse 12 this morning. Mark 14, verse 12. We've got a couple guys coming down the aisles here with Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, don't feel weird about this. Raise your hand. We pass them out every week. If you don't own a Bible, you do now. It's our free gift to you. If you just forgot one today, Take this one and then leave it on your way out. Okay, turn to Mark 12, or Mark 14, rather, verse 12. And as you're going, let me give you a little recap. So last week, Anthony gave us this beautiful picture of this extravagant moment of worship where we see this woman come and anoint Jesus. Come and take a, what we said was about the equivalent of a $25,000 bottle of perfume and pours it all over the head of Jesus. Now this seems extreme, but then when you understand how great the Lord is, how much Mary, the woman, had learned how important Jesus was and where he was headed, $25,000 is probably nothing. 
There is no amount that she could have poured out upon the head of Jesus that would have been sufficient. It does not exist. And yet she did the best she could. This was not a rich woman. She found this bottle of perfume probably passed down in her family, and she anoints the head of Christ with it, knowing very well probably where he was headed just days from when she does it, which is to the cross, which is to his death which is to be hung on this place for the sins of the world, to redeem all of creation. She probably had this somewhere in mind. She probably had paid attention to all the passion foreshadowings of Jesus throughout his ministry and finally says, okay, this is about to happen. What can I give you? What can I lay down? How can I continuously pour out so you know how worthy you are in my life? This constantly needs to be a reality for us. How do we continue to lay stuff down? To say, God, you're just this good. You're this worthy. And so I'm going to pour it out. Today we transition to this final moment with the apostles and then their Savior, their Lord, Jesus. We call this the Last Supper. Now, you've probably seen paintings. You've read books. You've seen different things about the Last Supper. But we get to actually look at the text. We could be a fly on the wall in this incredible moment as we see Jesus sit down one final time to share this Passover meal with his closest 12 companions. Now think about this, for three years now, they have navigated through all of this treacherous waters and land in order to come to this place where finally they are but days away from his death. And they sit down to have this dinner. Okay. And they sit down to have this dinner, not just to have a meal, but to celebrate the Passover, to celebrate this moment where the Jewish people would come together to reflect back on and remember back on the time that God delivered them from Egypt. The time that God took them and brought them in exodus and and saved and redeemed his people out of slavery and bondage. And so he sets this up and says, man, this Passover meal you shall do every year. And you're going to take this and you will do it in this way and you will enjoy it because you will remember what happened before. And then what Jesus institutes for us today and what we do every single week here at the church when we take communion is we too remember and reflect back on what Christ has done to deliver us, our own exodus, our own taking out of sin and slavery and bondage and brought into new life and new calling. So this is what we look at today. I think, though, in the midst of this, that we are not very good at remembering. We are not a very good reflecting people. My father would attest to this, and probably most men married, okay? Um, My dad, for his, I think it was their 25th or 30th anniversary, okay, forgot to get something for my mom, okay? And at 25 years, you feel at some point you would have learned, okay? But I remember talking to my dad, and he said, yeah, you know, I forgot to get something for your mother. It's It's the day of the anniversary, And I said, oh, what are you going to do? And he pulls out of his back pocket a crinkled Mother's Day card, okay? And he opens it up, and he scratches out Mother's Day, and he writes, happy anniversary, babe, and gives her this card, okay? Now, this went really well, (laughs) okay? Um, And I remember sitting there and just thinking, like, how could you forget this? Like, like 25 years, this, an anniversary is the moment, Dad, where you reflect back on this incredible joining, this incredible union, and you gave her a used card. What is wrong with you? 
And so <laughs> I remember from an early age thinking, man, like, I'm never going to do that, okay? And then I got married. <laughs> and, and honestly, here's, I, I think for the first few years, Verity was definitely the better at remembering our anniversary. And then last year, Last year was our four-year anniversary. We're having our five-year coming up in December. And our four-year anniversary, I remember I went out. I, I, I get reservations for a restaurant. I did all this stuff, got gifts and presents. I was all excited. And I'm going to call out my wife because she's the one that forgot last year. And so I've eclipsed her in love. Okay? Um, and so all of this to say is, okay, all of this to say, we're not, we, we forget so easily these things that are meant to be markers in our lives that move us forward and shape us as a people that we would live in such a way. So in an anniversary, you remember back to this moment where this neat joining thing happened and you are now married to this woman. Your identity changes. You go from single person to married person. You go from just a single guy to a married guy, a single woman to a married woman. This whole transition and you reflect back on that because that should shape who you are today. This is the same thing that happens with Passover. This is the same thing that happens every single time. You come up these aisles, you get in line, and you take of this cracker and you dip it in the water. Just You are to remember and to reflect on the cross of Jesus Christ. That when you do so, it would shape you as you leave. This is not a ritual we just do for the sake of doing another ritual on Sunday. It is this intentional moment for those who love Jesus to look back on, reflect, and be shaped by this incredible sacrament that is institutionalized here in this text today. Okay. We all have these moments in our lives that shape us, that we look back on and say, yeah, this is, this is something that then influences. This happened to me just the other day. We were in Portland for a church planners conference and this guy, Ron, comes up to me, and, uh, and he's coming up to a few of us, and he asks, hey, man, like, can I get some food, and can I do this? And he starts asking us or whatever, and, and he says, uh, he's like, oh, man, I've been having the worst leg pain, okay? I've been having the worst leg pain. And so I said, okay. And I immediately clicked into, well, then let's, let's, pray, for, let's pray to heal your leg, right? Like, let's, let's pray for healing for this guy's leg. And so what shaped this moment was me thinking back to the first time that I saw and raised a man from the dead, Okay? Just kidding, that didn't happen. Um, so you guys are like, oh my gosh. Um, no, but the first time that I did see some people lay hands, we laid hands on this guy's leg when I was in Turkey, and it was broken, and then it was no longer broken. Okay? It, it was messed up, he couldn't walk, it was, it was broken, and then all of a sudden it was not broken. And so it was that memory then that shaped me in this moment just last week in Portland where this guy says, my leg's broken. I say, well, I guess the answer is to pray for it. Because this is what I know from my past. This can work sometimes. And so we tried. It didn't work. But nevertheless, we are to be shaped by our past. We are to reflect on it, and it must then influence our present. So hear me. If you come every week, and if I go every week, and we take communion, and we try and remember and reflect upon Jesus, his life, his death, and his resurrection, the sacrifice that cleansed us, if we do that over and over and over, and it does nothing to change what you do when you leave, I have questions about how you're taking communion. I have questions about my own heart and my own soul, my own approach to this thing that we do. Because if it's just this flippant thing that you know you're at church and so everyone else lines up, I'm going to line up too, then we're missing the point. 
And so today we're going we're gonna to get into, man, why communion and what communion and why is Jesus giving us this moment and what does this moment look like for the apostles? So here we go, verse 12. On the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the city and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. Wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, the teacher says, where is my guest room? Where I may eat the Passover with my disciples. And he will show you a large upper room, furnished and ready. There, prepare for us. And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he had told them. And they were prepared, and they prepared the Passover. And when it was evening, he came with the twelve. Now, this isn't the first time we've seen Jesus say, Hey, guys, go before me, and I want you to do some stuff that may not make sense to you in the moment, but I want you to go do it anyway, and then come back and report, and then we're going to have this dinner, right? Because before, if you remember, when he was coming into Jerusalem in the triumphal entry, he said, hey, I want you to go into the city, you're going to find a donkey, okay? I want you to grab the donkey, I want you to say, hey, this, and then when they ask, why can't you have him, you say, well, this is for this guy, and so take the donkey, bring him back, and then you guys can go into the city riding on this donkey, Okay. Again, he now finds this moment where he's like, all right, well, I want this Passover to be prepared, so go. You're going to find a guy. Ask him if you can use his room. Essentially is what it is. This all happens as he says. They prepare the Passover meal. They come back and they get Jesus. So before we jump into anything, we need to talk about Passover. We need to talk about the Passover. What, what was it? Why is it? Why is it so important to the Jews? Why even today we reflect upon it and see it as important for the church? The context initially in the Passover is that all of Israel, all the Jews, were in slavery in Egypt, okay? Enslaved. Maybe if you've seen the Ten Commandments, you guys ever seen that, that movie? It shows about once a year, okay? So they're enslaved in Egypt, and God raises up a man, this man named Moses, and he says, all right, I want you to go, and I'm going to use you to deliver my people out of the hands of the Egyptians, and Moses is like, well, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't got a stutter. I don't know if I can do this. He's like, no, you can do it. In my power, you can do it. And so he sends him back, and, and Moses goes to Pharaoh, the leader of Egypt, and he says, listen, you need to, what, let my people go, okay? And Pharaoh says, no, because I need your people because they do all of our work, okay? And so Moses is like, all right, let me report back. Goes, talks to God. God says, listen, don't worry. I'm going to start doing some things, and they're going to be rough on Egypt. And so this is the start of what we know as the ten plagues that God unleashes upon Egypt in order to see his people delivered from Egypt. And let me run through them. The first one, the first one is he turns all the water in the river to blood, okay? Which is, is terrifying enough, but hey, maybe, maybe not that big a deal. It could be Kool-Aid. You never know. The next one was frogs, Thousands, hundreds of thousands, I don't know, tons and tons and tons of frogs all of a sudden start showing up again. Maybe he's a frog fan, not that big a deal. Okay, so he goes through two, still says, no, you can't have the people. So they go into the third plague, which was a bunch of uh, gnats or lice, these little flies or whatever, not flies, just tiny little things that were just buzzing around, I'm guessing, which is just annoying, but maybe not that big a deal. He still says no. Then you get flies in the fourth plague. Still, ah, flies are terrible, but maybe not the worst. Five, though, livestock dead kills all the livestock in Egypt. Now, this, if you're like me, is a big deal. Okay. No meat. Okay. Now, for Flagstaff, a lot of people are like, oh, sweet, perfect. But for me, no in and out means have your people, right? 
this also does not work. Five plagues in, doesn't work. Six, boils. Boils begin to pop up on people's bodies. This seems like a big deal, right? So all this stuff starts happening externally, but then it starts getting a bit closer, and all of a sudden boils are popping up on Egyptian officials and on people, and there's, what is happening? So Moses, you would think, goes and says, let my people go. And he says, no, still not going to do it. Seven, thunder and hail. Now, this one doesn't seem that big a deal. We live in Flagstaff, okay? Um, But it was probably bigger, louder, and heavier than anything you can imagine. But that was the seventh plague. He still says, no, eight, we come across locusts. Thousands and thousands and thousands of locusts inundate the whole land of Egypt. Again, he says, no. Number nine, darkness. Darkness comes over the whole land. Okay, complete darkness, terrifying, right? Are you afraid of the dark type of stuff? Okay, still doesn't work. And this is what brings us to this Passover moment. After nine plagues, nine times where God unleashes brokenness and pain upon the Egyptian people, and every time Pharaoh says no, until we get to the 10th plague, God says to Moses, he says, listen up, if, if you don't let my people go. God is going to take the firstborn of every Egyptian family in the land. God is going to kill the firstborn son of every family in the land. Pharaoh still says no. Pharaoh says no, trying to call God on his bluff. After nine times where he's already come through, Pharaoh's heart incredibly hardened in this moment. And so what happens is Passover. Because God, in his mercy, seeks to save and redeem his own people. And so he sets up Passover. He instructs Moses, go to the people and tell them this. And it was very specific. They needed to have a one-year-old male lamb. And they needed to kill it in a specific way. And they needed to eat it in a specific way. And they needed to uh, take the blood in a specific way and use a hyssop branch. And they would take the blood and they would smear it. He says, smear it on the doorposts on the outside of your home. So when the angel of death comes to claim the firstborn of every son in Egypt, he will pass over your house. So when the angel goes and sees the blood of the lamb that has been sacrificed, Passover, that house would not see death. Okay. This is the moment in history that even to this day that Jews celebrate as the moment where God delivered the people of God from slavery and from brokenness, and save them from death, okay? Because this happens, and finally Pharaoh says, okay, go. Get out of here. This is enough. Sends them on their way. Now, the story goes and continues, and doesn't go super well for Pharaoh, okay? But this is the moment where Jews to this day are to sit to reflect back on and be shaped by that they would live and be a certain type of people in the world today. Now, what we get to look at today is our own version of that exodus. And that's how important it is. I want to step into the foot of a Jew, if you could, looking back on this ancestry and knowing we would not exist if not for this moment where God relented, spared, and saved, and delivered our people. And so this is where we're at. Moving on, verse 18. 
And as they were reclining at the table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be sorrowful and say to him one after another, Is it I? He said to them, It is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. So here's what's going on. They finally get to this room that's been set aside. The Passover has been prepared. They're having dinner. They're eating. They're enjoying themselves. And Jesus comes out and just drops a bomb. He's hanging out. All his closest friends. And he says, hey, one of you guys, you're going to betray me. This is like the most awkward moment that I can think of. Okay. I remember being at a dinner with some friends in California. They were about a month out from their, ma- their marriage, their wedding. And uh, they had started to get into a bit of an argument. There's me and a few other friends and then this couple. And they start to argue. And then she says out loud, well, maybe if you didn't sleep with Crystal. Okay. Crystal was also at the table. Okay. That was the most awkward moment of my life. Okay? That pales in comparison to the reality that Jesus Christ, the guy with whom these 12 men have followed and done insane things with. I mean, they've seen this guy raise people from the dead. They've seen this guy heal people who are broken. They've seen him forgive sins. They've seen him claim to be God. They claim to know that he is God, right? Rewind to Peter saying, no, you are the Christ, right? They, they've pro- this is God in the flesh, and yet all of a sudden, a script gets flipped on its head, and they are sitting at this dinner, enjoying themselves, and then the guy that they exalt says, one of the 12 here, you're going to betray me. You're going to stab me in the back. Something that you will do will will break us, will break our mission, will do all of these things. I can only imagine what this one has been like for the 12. So they first say, well, who, is, it, is it me? Did, did I, am I going to do it? Which it just is like, what do you think? Are you or, or not? Like it's, you should know if you're going to be the one. I think it shows kind of this real fickle nature of, the man, uh, uh, of mankind. That, that even sin and brokenness, right? Like, yeah, I don't know if I'm going to do that or not. You don't know if you're going to be the one to betray Jesus? And I imagine the conversation going something like this. She's saying, hey, when are you guys going to betray me? All the apostles. Is it me? And Jesus says, no, it's, it's the one who's dipping bread with me right now. And, and I don't know if it was in that moment, but I'd like to think it was, that Jesus was dipping some bread right? And so was Judas at the same time. He's like, it's the guy dipping the bread with me. And Judas just went, uh-oh. And found out that, oh my gosh, he knows. Uh, like, he knows what's about to go down here. He knows that I'm about to betray him. And to me, this would be the thing that would stop me from betraying him, right? Like, like if, if someone said, hey, you're about to murder me, and I said, no, I'm not, but really was going to, I probably then would stop. Like, it was known. I was found out. I'd say, I won't murder you anymore because there's 11 witnesses that just said, I'm the guy. But Judas will carry out his plan. The sin and deception takes him over, and he will not relent. 
and he will betray. That's a spoiler alert for you. But that's just the way it is. And Jesus says about Judas, man, it'd be better that this guy was never even born. He said, it's better that this guy was never even born because of what he's about to do. Let's keep going. Verse 22. As they're eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them, and said, take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And so we get this moment, and you've probably heard this, I think we've even read it from up here every time Anthony will introduce or I will introduce communion. Right? This, this is Jesus introducing this great sacrament that, that listen, not, not just us, this is the church globally shares in this moment almost every week where they come and they take of the elements and they remember and they reflect. And so let's go slower than faster here because I know we all think we really get the importance of this. But Jesus takes this loaf of bread, sitting before, and and listen, this is kind of, it's interesting because it says they had already been eating, so there's probably already a meal that had been had, and this is almost like this next meal that's going on. He says he takes this bread and he breaks it off and he begins to pass it around and he says he blesses it. Now what I want to bring up here is there is... Uh, there's definitely teaching within the church, okay, that says that when Jesus blesses it, that there is something special and anointed in this moment that must also occur in a moment like this, okay? So when we come to the table right now that myself or some authority, some anointed one must anoint or bless the elements that they would become effectual, that they would become what they need to be for us to remember well. Others would say, not only do they bless it for that, but in that blessing, they also literally will become the body of Christ and the blood of Christ. Okay. We don't practice that here. Okay. J- just so we know. We think this is a symbol, this is a reflection. Jesus in this moment is saying, take of this bread, and not literally saying, this is my body, but rather saying, this is a representation of my body that you will remember forever. And so in the breaking of it, we remember Christ's broken body, okay? And then he passes around this cup. He says, take and drink. He said, this is the blood of the new covenant, okay? Drink of this. Again, this is not actually, we think, the actual blood of Jesus, but rather we think, well, wine and or grape juice, depending on your preference, okay? This is a representation of, of the blood that was to be shed on the cross of Christ that says will cover over a multitude of sins. Okay. So, in, so in this moment, here's what we have. We have a broken body. We have shed blood. And in these two things, we remember and we reflect on the redemption and forgiveness that comes as part of it. So if you're here and you're a Christian and you've signed up, you're in, Right? You've said, yeah, I I want to be forgiven. I I want that grace over my life. I want the blood of Christ to cover me. I want want to remember that his broken body was what delivered me so that I didn't have to be broken, that I didn't have to shed blood, that he would do it on my behalf. If you signed up for that, this should be one of the most important things you do every single time. It's not more holy. It's not more special. It doesn't make you a better Christian. It's not going to save you more. God won't love you more. But if we truly reflect on, gosh, this moment in history changed everything for my life. 
then every time we come forward and we remember that moment, it should be done seriously. And should be done in such a way that then shapes us as we leave. Man, gosh, I, I just did that. Jesus, you died for me. You, you saved me. Your body was broken for me. Your blood was shed for me. Jesus, your body was broken for the redemption of all creation. God, your blood was shed that you would cover over the sin of mankind, redeeming everything. This is not just individual. This is corporate. This is global. The weight of this, the weight of that moment, we're going to talk about the cross in just a few weeks. We're going to talk about covering and talk about our Savior, whom we've tracked through this whole story for the last 40 something weeks, and say, Man, he had to die? And this is the moment that we get to remember that. And we get to do it not just with the people here at Redemption Church Flagstaff. We do this united with literally millions of people around the world. That's what, that's what I love. I mean, literally, in, in about. Gosh, 20 minutes, we're going to be up here, and you guys are going to come forward, you're going to go to the back table, and you're going to take communion. And at the same time, probably simultaneously, there are millions of people around the world remembering the very same thing. It is such a uniting moment for the church to be centered on the cross of Christ. And so again, this is just approach it with that type of thanksgiving, with that type of gratitude, with that type of understanding that shapes you and forms you There's even an intentional reason that we do it right at the end of the sermon, but at the beginning of singing. Because my thought is, is that, man, you would come, you would hear from the word, be convicted, thankful for the cross and the gospel message. Come, take communion, reflect, remember, celebrate. And then you would go back to your seats and you would sing and praise and worship and celebrate because he's done this thing. And honestly, listen, and I'm not judging holiness or excitement or how much you love Jesus by how much you move. But I kind of am. Because sometimes it looks like a ghost town in here when we're singing praises to Jesus just after we heard the gospel and took communion. And I just wonder, like, does that make sense? Can't get no help, you know. Um, Does that make sense? I... And again, hear me, listen, if you're just, if you're a pocket standstill person, dude, rock the pocket standstill still person thing. Listen, this is, hear me, please. I'm really like, if you're here and that's you, that's just you, that's the, but your heart is just like, you're blowing up in affection for Christ, amazing. I, I'm, hear me, like you don't have, you can just do this the whole time, but if your heart is welling in this desire to praise and make much of him as you even mouth words or just even think them, I don't care, but I'm just wondering, I wonder to my own self, That if I hear the gospel story, if I come to this moment that Jesus Christ institutionalized, that we would remember the cross, celebrate the moment that saves us, gosh, should that not move us to this really vibrant excitement to give him praise for what he's done? Let's keep going. Um, I want to talk about how we do this here at Redemption just a little bit, okay? Okay. When we come up and take communion, just real practically, um, Anthony will come up, or whoever's doing the response time will introduce it. And there's this, like, and, I, and I've said it a couple times before, I know, but there's this rush to get into line, okay? So we have it here, and we have it back there, and so it's like, all right, 
He said commune. He said go. And so let's all, let's all go, and, and we'll kind of line up like cattle and just be like, all right, it's my turn. And, and I, I just want to invite us to let go of that a little bit and say, like, no, no, no. Like, you, you don't have to be the first one here, and you don't need to be lining up 25 people deep. Like, sit, sing, reflect on the words, give, respond to God, continue to reflect on the cross, continue to reflect on the reflection question we usually throw up there. There's no need to rush up and take. It'll still be here. And I think, honestly, I know this from my own heart. Because I used to just kind of run up and be like, all right, well, this is what we do. I began to just sit there for a little bit and honestly just kind of like take everything into consideration, what it meant for me to come to this table, what it meant for me to remember this moment with the rest of the people at the church and around the world, and it just kept me seated for a bit longer. Okay. And, and so I want to invite you to, to take your time. Okay. Don't, you don't need to come and get up in line. That, that also being said, not every, don't everyone wait to like the third song, because then we'll never get out of here. Okay? So, but there's this, I just want you to be able to actually reflect on this moment, on this thing rather than just feel like it's a ritual. I feel like we do that when we just rush up here. The second thing is, when we come up, you'll notice we have the crackers, and then we have uh, wine and, and juice. Okay, so, so just very practically, and I, and I say this because um, a lot of our communion servers, and when I've done it, have noticed some things that I want to clarify. Okay, so we come up and we break the cracker. Okay, so you break the cracker into a, a little piece. It doesn't have to be tiny. Uh, in fact, if it's too small, here's what sometimes you do. You'll break it, and then it's so small, you just dip your fingers in there. And then you do one of those, okay? That's gross, okay? <laughs> the second thing is, some of you will just take like a whole cracker. And then you go sit down, and you're just nibbling on Jesus for the next 25 minutes. Like, I look at you, and I'm like, what are you doing? Like, take a, a nice little piece, okay, of the cracker. I don't mean to make light of this, I'm just saying it happens, okay? We intentionally keep them whole. Some people say, well, why don't you just break them beforehand? Why don't you just break them beforehand? You won't run into that issue. We intentionally leave the pieces whole because we want you to symbolically have to break the bread yourself because it's our sin that caused his broken body. Isaiah 53, very clear. It was our iniquity that placed him on the cross. He was crushed and broken for our sin, our iniquity. So when we come, we intentionally break. You hear that snap? Listen, it's all meant for us to think, to reflect, and to remember. So come, we break the cracker. The next is that we, um, we dip it into the wine or juice. And this is, this is another one, okay? Just dip it in, okay? Take it out and go. Don't pick up the cup. Okay, and start drinking. Now, that happens in different places, and I get that, but we don't do that here. Okay, so just quick dip, and, and you're on your way. You have two options, juice or wine, whatever you prefer. Okay, and I'll say this, because people are up, there's nothing more holy about wine. Okay, because I've heard, oh, you got to do wine, because Jesus said, no, 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 you can do juice, it's okay. Okay, nothing more holy about the wine. So you come up, you dip in, and then you take in, you go. And then when you get back and you get seated, Here's what I invite you to do, and this is something my wife and I, we try and do usually, is um, we'll take, we'll dip, we'll go sit down, and then we just ponder one last moment. We, we just kind of think on one last moment about what this means. Sometimes I'll, I have kind of this stock prayer that I'll say in thanksgiving for what he's done for me, and then I'll take. And, and again, 
you are free to take communion however you want to. Okay? This is not a prescription. The Bible doesn't give you, like, it's got to be this way. You've got to wait this long. But I'm saying I, I want to encourage us to move us more towards how do we reflect more on what Jesus has done for us. That will only serve us as a community and as individuals. Okay? And then sing, pray, give, do all of that. Now, here's the last thing. Here's where we're going to land this ship. Is in this Exodus moment for us, Okay, in this Exodus moment that we, that we realize that God has delivered, to, has set free, has set us apart, we understand this beautiful thing about our table versus the table we see here in Mark. Here's the big difference to me. And even to this day for the average Jew who's doing a Passover dinner, is that when they come to the table and they take and they eat at the Passover, there still is a lamb that they eat. They still eat this lamb at this meal. At the meal that they're eating here, in Mark chapter 14, they probably were eating a lamb. This was part of the dinner. This is part of a way they were remembering the Old Testament Passover. At our table, there is no lamb. Right? We, although that sounds incredible, right? It's just cracker and juice. Because Jesus is the lamb now. And maybe that's not a revolutionary idea for you, but I want to invite you to think on that more. For thousands and thousands and thousands of years, the people of God celebrated this moment by killing and sacrificing a lamb, by using its blood to, remember, to, to go in the doorposts to save and deliver the people. So in the dinner, they remembered that moment by eating of this lamb, prepared in a certain way, eaten in a certain way. We need not do that any longer because the blood of the new covenant says Jesus was the lamb once and for all. There is no need for continual sacrifice. You cannot earn it. You do not deserve it. It's just Jesus all the time, one time forevermore. And so when you keep seeking for something else, it's not there. If you're coming to church to be a good person, stop. If you read your Bible just because you think God will love you more, it won't. The only thing that delivers us from sin, slavery, bondage, brokenness, hurt, pain, and death is Jesus, the Lamb of God. There is nothing else. And that is a worshipful thing. There is no better news. That is the gospel. So when you come up, you celebrate like, man, I break this, I dip this, I think, and I remember Jesus, you have cleansed me, saved me. I need do nothing more to follow you and to love you and be part of your mission now to let the rest of the world know this is the gospel story. Only Jesus saves. That's what communion is. That's what the gospel is. And that's why we then are projected forward as individuals and now as the corporate church celebrating this one moment across the world to say, listen up world. He's come. He's here. He's alive. And he's on mission to save and redeem. That's the gospel. That's what we celebrate in this. So let us come worthy this morning by just submitting and laying out. It builds off of last week. Pour out yourself that when you come to the table, you take on all of him. That's what we do. We get this juxtaposition in these last five verses between Judas and Peter that I think is this beautiful picture of the gospel. And let me read it. It says, when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. 
And Jesus said to them, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, Even though they fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, If I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. Okay. Real quick, foreshadow to where we're going. This happens. Jesus does deny Christ. The rest of the team, they do fall away. Judas. No, Peter will deny Christ. What are you talking about? Stop throwing me off. No, he's not. Peter also denied. Who's preaching? No, I'm scared. I'm scared. Sorry. No, Peter will also deny Christ. Jesus did what to Judas? Oh, I said Jesus. I don't remember what I said. Okay. I've been off for a couple weeks, okay? So. Whatever I said, here's what I meant. Okay? Peter will deny Jesus before the rooster crows, and so will Judas. Okay? Obviously. We know the Judas story. He's the great betrayer. We'll get more into him in a little bit in the next following weeks. But here's just a glimpse, I think, of this gospel story. Because I think what's so beautiful about it is you see Peter, and he's so confident, he's so brash. He's like, I'm going to go do this. No, I'm never going to fall away. And yet he does. Yet he does. He does reject Christ. He does deny him and say, no, I'm not not with that guy. I'm not with that guy. I'm not with that guy. And Judas does something similar and betrays Christ, hands him over for 30 pieces of silver. The difference between these two men could not be more stark and had nothing to do with the external had everything to do with what was going on in their heart. Repentance, confession, a desire to continue to come to the cross. And so listen, there's, as you come forward today, as we take communion, as we sing, as we leave this place to look to be the church that Christ has called us to be, to be the Christians that Christ has called us to be, know you're going to fail. Know you're going to mess up. Know you're going to say things that you shouldn't say. You're going to do things that you shouldn't do. But incline your heart towards the cross of Christ towards the blood of Christ that saves and redeems and sets us free. And we will be saved. Not just here and now, but forevermore. Okay, that is the gospel. That's what we celebrate. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Thank you for... We thank you for communion. We thank you that we get to have this moment. We only do this because you did something remarkable. If you didn't die, if your body wasn't broken, your blood wasn't shed, this is the silliest thing we could ever do as people. It makes no sense. But God, we rest in the truth that the Son of Man was killed, that his body was broken, and his blood was shed for the redemption of this world, for the forgiveness of our sins, in the empowering of a people that will go and tell this story. So God, we thank you for the cross this morning. Jesus, we thank you for you, for being obedient. And I'm excited to study and and talk about that obedience next week as we see you in the garden. But God, I just... uh, 
I pray for more thanksgiving today. God, that you would, that you would well up in me a greater affection and gratefulness for what you've done. So when I come to the table, God, I would just be, in one sense, completely floored by your grace and your majesty, but God, also just raised up that I might raise holy hands and sing and praise to you. Holy Spirit, be in this place, be in us, move us, shape us, transform us, make us new continually, God, that we could serve you, make you known to the world. In your name we pray, amen.